0: Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine coming to you from Al's Gator City. And with me, as always, is my co host, whose head is filled with secret star charts, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry?
1: I am doing great, Andy. I am so excited to talk about this movie with you. Yes. Uh, today we are talking about 1986's Flight of the Navigator, which I went to see in the theaters. Oh, you did? And okay. Vividly remember. Like, you know, I've seen it once or twice since, but but this movie is like I could play this movie in my head. The beats are so strongly etched
0: into my into my brain. Uh, oh wow it, I you know I had not seen this movie before or at least I don't remember it or I saw bits and pieces but I don't I really do not remember this movie at all so it was a wonderful beautiful surprise oh i'm
1: I'm so glad because because I think that means we both like it which yay, which is always nice, which is always nice. it's always the case but today it is. no but today it is <laughs> although. I have, some, I have some thoughts that need to be shared,
0: and I'm sure I'm you do. I'm sure you do, but let's get some key facts out of the way first, eh? Please. All right, so so Flight of the Navigator was originally pitched directly to Disney, who passed. And the filmmakers worked with an organization called Producers Sales Organization, or PSO, and another group called Viking Film. And Viking Film was in? Norway. That's the name Viking film, right? Makes sense. So while they're making the film, Viking film declares bankruptcy. And because of the nature of the bankruptcy or however everything was reorganized, there was a lot of funds accessible in Norway that couldn't be accessed anywhere else in the world. So the decision was made to shoot the exteriors in Fort Lauderdale, but the interiors, most of them were shot in Norway which meant shipping the physical spaceships from the United States to Europe during the shoot That is so
1: that is so funny <laughs> It's so crazy We got to so, go to Norway they only have these interiors in Norway you can't find them Well anywhere. that's you go
0: where the money is right Of course so,
1: of course but it's just so funny
0: And ironically Disney ends up signing up to distribute the movie Anyway, okay. so this could have been completely done on the backlots at Disney, but no. Um, so I w- I think that's funny. Yeah, uh, Flight of the Navigator was one of the first Hollywood films to rely solely on CGI effects. Um, it's it's the first movie to use what's called reflection mapping, and that's a way to create reflections on sort of a chrome surface and make it look sort of realistic as the ship's moving. Uh, The ship's stairs, however, were created using stop-action photography, some models, a ton of models, and some sleight-of-hand optical illusions from some fairly tricky carpenters. So you could actually go up the stairs even though it looks like there's nothing underneath. Oh, that's funny.
1: Which, and, and honestly, you know, the effect has not aged well if you watch it today. Oh, sure. But but at the time, it was
0: cool. Well, the going up the stairs does for me. Yeah. I'm like, well, how are they doing that? I mean, I think it's cool. I think it's also a nod to, you know, how Disney was doing filmmaking in the, you know, like during the Poppins era, right? Yeah. Um. Let's see. So the computer used was called the Foonly F1. Uh, and it had so little storage space for the art of the movie that once a frame was mapped and printed, right, uh, the data had to be deleted to make way for an, a brand new frame. Oh, that's maddening. That's... <laughs> wow. Yeah, so you have to get it really right. Yes, that's, that's yeah. crazy. Okay. That's super crazy. So in the mid-1980s, uh, actor-comedian Paul Rubens was at the top of his game. So... In 1985, Tim, there's a Tim Burton film release called Pee-wee's Big Adventure. You may have heard of it. Of uh, course. And, and also Pee-wee's Playhouse was starting its multiple season run. And Paul Rubens agrees to do Flight of the Navigator as the voice of Max. But only if he's credited not as Paul Rubens but as Paul Maul. And that it is...
1: That's baffling to me.
0: Why? It is very weird to me that he made this choice. And I don't really have a satisfactory answer as to why this happened. Um, I've heard he didn't want to be typecast or detract from the Pee Wee Herman character. But since Max is virtually Pee Wee Herman, uh, that doesn't make real sense.
1: I mean, even beyond that, you know, when at that time... No one knew the name Paul Rubens. We knew Pee-wee Herman. Correct. So so if you used Paul Rubens, it's not like kids watching this would have immediately gone, that's the actor playing Pee-wee.
0: Okay. Okay. I don't get it. I I don't either. I've also heard he wanted it to be a surprise. But given the popularity of Pee-wee, and it is, again it's the mid eighties, Pee Wee Herman's everywhere. Sure. And, and the lackluster showing of this film at the box office, that, that answer doesn't really seem to fit for me. No. And so it's people like, Oh, well, remember he got in legal trouble. I'm like, yeah, but this is before all that. He had legal troubles in 91 and again in 2002. And that was before this, you know, film was made. Um, But since then, um, since this movie, Rubens has had a bit of a comeback. He is credited as Paul Rubens now in this film. And you can also hear him as the pilot droid Rex in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Wait, wait. Yes.
1: Rex? Is Rex from Star Tours?
0: Is he the robot? from Star... Right. And and then they got rid of Rex, but then they brought him back... um, At Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and at Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood Studios.
1: Oh.
0: So he's back.
1: Wow. Okay. I didn't know. Cool. I had no idea.
0: Okay. So if you're a fan listener of the Soren Rides at the Disney Parks, you might feel like the last sequences of the movie feels like that experience. At least Larry and I do. We talked about this pre-production. I
1: immediately texted Andy. I'm like, "Is <laughs> Soren a flight of the Navigator ride? Because it feels like the music sounded to me like Soren."
0: Well, it does. I mean, the music for Flight of the Navigator was composed by Alan Silvestri, and the music for Soren was composed by Jerry Goldberg. But there's certainly, I listened to them side by side. There's a lot of similarity in the feel and um, the musicality for for sure.
1: You know, it's funny with just—I mean, even even the bit with the fireworks at the end of the movie, right. the fireworks that bring them in—that's the same thing that happens at the end of Soren. Fireworks come in to bring you to, home to Disney. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I—I I think it's a flight of the Navigator
0: ride. This is now canon. <laughs> okay, cool. I—I've decided. I'm with it. I've done So it shall be written. So it shall be done. Um, so there is a pretty credible fan theory that you can see the Trimaxian drone ship from the movie up close and personal at Disney World. So Max, the ship, right, used to be on the Disney Hollywood Studios backlot tour. And of course, that tour is no more because of all of the new Star Wars attractions. And I loved that backlot tour. Oh, that was was a fun tour. I loved that. I absolutely loved it. It was like my favorite thing at Hollywood Studios and it's gone now, but... Rest in peace. Okay, so, but Disney's pretty famous for repurposing things. So there are, and there are YouTube videos on this, and I've watched several several of them. Um, Many fans believe that the ship was painted red, that they painted on some white windows, some other, you know, accessories were added, and it was repurposed as the Thirst Ranger's cool ship atop the cool scanner in Tomorrowland at the, Coca-Cola refreshment stand.
1: That That is an ignominious end for the navigator <laughs> ship. Like, like, it belongs in a museum. That's
0: what Indy and I would say. Right, 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 right. But it reminds me of Rocket from the little Einsteins now, at least the look. Oh, I love
1: the idea of little Einsteins being set in the same universe as Flight of the Navigator.
0: I do too.
1: <laughs> now he's he no longer needs star charts, but he does need them to clap. That's so, right.
0: And pat, 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 pat. Right. Oh
1: Lord, we were big little Einsteins fans around here. So oh no, not not here. They drove me to the brink <laughs> of insanity. But that is. Another podcast episode. Uh, maybe we'll do.
0: Maybe we'll do a little Einstein's episode someday. I would love that. That would be awesome. They were my favorite. Got me many a shower.
1: But let's okay. get into Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> let's do. And it. we begin as we always do with the monish tana, and we ask why the movie starts where it starts. And this has an interesting monish tana, uh, and I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell you the story. I'm gonna tell it to you with my youngest son's interjection. We see. <laughs> a cylindrical sort of object floating through the sky. And my youngest son goes, what a terrible effect. This is pathetic. <laughs> it's like, it's like strike one. This ship looks awful. Uh, like, And then of course we, we move away from it and it's not a spaceship. It's actually a Frisbee. They got him. Yeah. They faked him out with that... With that, with that frisbee, into thinking it was the spaceship, and that that the quality of the spaceship we're going to see later is significantly better than this this silly frisbee at the beginning. Uh, and the manischina continues over credits where we watch dogs <laughs> catching frisbee at at this event, which is a frisbee, uh, the professional dog frisbee competition, yep. which I bet is actually a real thing, and I'm just not in that world. Sure, but then my youngest son said to me, "Is this a dog movie uh one would th- one would think <laughs> so so Andy, why do we start our movie in this way with the frisbee saucer fake out and then the dog frisbee sequence
0: no idea um no i have i have one idea, but it's not a very good idea um i'm I'm just not sure how this all fleshed out i can't imagine people thinking that this was a good idea but here we go um so we do have that ufo fake out which is actually kind of cool but the joke runs way too long with the dogs catching the frisbees right it's three minutes long larry i know of dogs catching frisbees (laughs) until we get the banner of july 4th 1978 the south florida frisbee dog championship If you Um, told me this was the first few minutes of Air Bud, I would believe it. 100% right. Why does it start here? None of this is important. I mean, we get bits and pieces. We see this family, but I have another idea maybe later on when we talk about, we're going to talk about tone today and setting expectations in your movie. Um, I have an idea for that. We might talk about it later, but it, it, this looks like a dog movie.
1: It it absolutely looks like a dog movie and I I'm going to throw out that this movie feels like not the final version of Flight of the Navigator. Um in in the sense that I think at a certain point they had footage and they're like we're just going to use what we've got to you know at a certain point the deadline comes up mm-hmm. and you just have to use what you've got. And this this is a time period where you need to show the credits and you have need to have something playing under them. But right, it can't right. be the rest of the exposition because we're going to need to hear it and pay attention to it. And we can't cover the screen with credits as important information is coming coming on. And and ultimately, I think it's it's a, it's not a great choice, but it was either this or nothing. Uh, right. And. Yeah, uh, it, it's not—it's not a strong opening, and I, I had to—I really had to encourage my youngest to stick with it for a little bit. I'm like, we haven't gotten to the good part. Right. I do like. That it continually tries to fake us out into thinking we're about to see the aliens come down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the shadow comes over them, and you pointed out that they, we we in the audience are like, "Here we go! It's an alien movie," but it's actually a blimp flying overhead. Uh, th-
0: this movie, this I mean, movie, it's almost like the nineteen eighty or nineteen fifties kind of sci fi tropes, right? With the yes. shadow and the the you know the weird frisbee that you know. So I, it's I, kind of interesting.
1: I think this is all about. This is a kind of movie that knows that it's positioned against other movies in the genre. And I I think this opening is trying to tell us if you've seen flying saucer movies in the past, we are aware that a lot of the times you can see the flying saucer and you see the string that's holding up the flying saucer and the effects aren't going to be good. We're going to lampoon this here. We're going to keep lampooning like... The things that you've seen before, because then later on down the movie, we're going to blow your mind by giving you you've been referencing this other stuff. And then when you see our flying saucer, mm-hmm. it's going to be amazing. Right. I think that's the mindset, whether but I think the execution of it definitely doesn't does makes you wriggle in your seats a little bit waiting for the movie to get started.
0: Well, in the movie, Back to the Future has come out. Um, since that time. And so it kind of has a Back to the Future opening in a way where we see this stuff that doesn't seem to be, it seems kind of random, you know? Um, but, see, but Back to, back the, to diff- the
1: Future is showing us the, you know, it's a time travel movie and what it does and this is also a time travel movie. Let's just get right. that out of the way. Right, right, right. Um, what Back to the Future does over the credits, you don't know what you're seeing as Marty's on the skateboard going through Hill Valley. Right. But in fact, every image you're getting in Hill Valley is going to be important because when we travel back to nineteen, the 1950s, we're going to see how the, the, like, the neighborhood changed in the right. intervening 30 years. Right. So everything we're seeing there is going to be referenced later. If they did that in this movie... And I'm not saying that they should have. Uh, We would be getting something, but we're not looking at buildings. We're looking at dogs. And I have to imagine most of those dogs are now dead, you know, like in in the future. It's it's not really clear in the future whether that's still Bruiser, who's the family dog, or if they've gotten a new dog along the way, because it looks like the same dog, but dogs look very different over an intervening 11 years.
0: Right, right. It... It's just hard to, like, I they're not paid off in the same way. No. So if the, all of those things, if the dog Frisbee thing was paid off somehow, that would make more sense. The, the payoff but for the not. dog
1: Frisbee thing, and then we need to move on. Yeah. The payoff for the dog Frisbee thing is later when we're in the future, we see his brother has a dog, and that dog can catch a Frisbee. And it, you almost wonder, did the brother teach the dog to catch a Frisbee because he knew that's what his older brother had always wanted his dog to be able to do. But it's a very subtle moment. Mm-hmm. And and it certainly doesn't need to be foregrounded like this. Right. No way. Correct. So... We get I'm uh, moving us forward to the exposition. We get a bunch of exposition. We are in the 1970s. We see that David, you know, he's he's a young man. There's a girl that he has a crush on, as Andy mentioned. Uh his relationship with his brother is, I don't want to say fraught, but they're at or they're having a rough patch. His his younger brother is kind of a brat at this point. Um and and You know, David feels particularly vulnerable because, again, he's discovered girls and he kind of has a crush and his younger brother senses weakness and teases him about it. Mm -hmm. We get a great scene between dad uh, and and David where dad, you know, like gives him some advice about what you do when you like a girl. Uh, I kind of I kind of like that scene. It was it was a good understanding father son moment. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that, but ultimately, it's you know it's time to pick up the younger brother. David goes out into the woods, and we get a creepy vibe, and we get one more fake out. The younger right. brother scares him, not the aliens. Right. Then the do- Bruiser, the dog, senses something. David goes to investigate whatever it is that gets that the dog has has run off to investigate, he falls into a small pit and he wakes up the next morning. And I'm gonna say this movie, Andy, the inciting incident happens out of frame of this movie. It Like, we don't actually get to see the yeah. inciting incident. David falls asleep, something happens, and then he wakes up. But we don't actually get to see the inciting incident. Um, it's it's not in the movie, which is fine. Right, it, it's it's very, a mystery. Rip,
0: it's very Rip Van Winkle at this point, right? Um, very Rip Van Winkle. That's the, a great reference for this. The, you know, David gets knocked into that ravine unconscious, and that's what gets things going. But we really don't know that there's anything wrong until he beats on the door of his house and someone, ans- someone different answers the door. And I have to tell you, that part of the movie, <laughs> hurt,
1: that hurt. That hurt me. Oh. Emot- and I mean, I don't mean that in like it was painful bad. It was right. painful real to me. Yeah. When he's in that house and he's crying and he doesn't understand, and he's like, I just want my mom. Oh, I, started, my I started to cry. I'm... I, why am I this person, Andy? Why <laughs> why 20 minutes into this movie am I crying because of the conceit of the movie?
0: Ah, because you're human. Well, and, and I have kids. And this and this movie, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And this movie is also hitting the emotional beats it's supposed to hit.
1: It it absolutely does. Yeah. He is he he is not in the experience of figuring it out. He's responding to it emotionally, which is how a kid, which is dare I say it, how most of us respond to moments of disorientation. We don't immediately go sure. into detective mode. We just feel things, and then later on, maybe we can try to figure it out, mm-hmm. but not here.
0: So That's an interesting point, because I have a criticism of this movie in that a little later I'll bring it in. But okay. yeah, that's interesting that you say that.
1: So, So unless you found something else to be the inciting incident... I, I think this movie has one off camera, but Dave, we don't actually see David making, uh, you know, an event has occurred that has changed David's life. Uh, mm-hmm. He He's landed in the world of the future. That is the thing. Right. And, and, and we have a movie from this point on, no matter what. Right. Uh, okay, fair enough. So then we get a bunch of rising action. And I'm going to talk about this You know, structurally, there's two halves to the rising action. Uh, It's almost it's almost a sort of like a reverse kind of law and order. We have like the legal proceedings. (laughs) We have the detective work that that's happening here where they're trying to figure out what happened to David. Great. reference. Uh, Simultaneously, uh, the scientists have discovered a flying saucer that seems to just be dormant at this particular place. Uh, the two things become linked when they do a uh, a brain scan of David's brain and of the image of of the net flight of the navigator ship begins mm-hmm. to to print out uh, onto the screens. It starts to leak from his brain to the monitors. And so there, there's clearly a connection between this kid who's been gone from 11 years and this this spaceship. I don't know, once you've got those two clues, I think you figure out what happened, but it does seem to take them a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, David has been reunited with his parents and his now uh, big younger brother, young older brother. It's weird. Uh, yeah. Heartfelt reunions. All You really get the sense from the three of them that they have been traumatized uh, by David's disappearance and that this is a miracle return. Mm -hmm. for them Uh, i i think the performances are great i think so too
0: very believable
1: uh and then um what's his name dr faraday comes and says listen Mm -hmm. don't you want to know i i'm happy for you your kid is back Mm -hmm. don't you want to know where he's been don't you want to know why he's he hasn't aged (laughs) uh like we we need him for 48 hours we'll we'll come up with some answers and then we'll bring him back
0: the minute he says 48 hours, though, do you believe him?
1: No, that's a no, ridiculously <laughs> short
0: amount of time to to
1: suggest it. He also says that it needs to be isolated from his parents and brother so that there are no distractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the deal breaker for me. You have a lot more leverage here. Uh, freeman family uh than you think you do you insist that you like like if my kid's been gone for 11 years and the scientists like don't you want to know what happens we're going to take him away for two more days nope not one more minute right not (laughs) one more minute not not one more second this kid goes to the bathroom with a buddy from the rest of his (laughs) life that's that's how i would feel at, right, right. Uh, whether that's healthy or not, probably not. <laughs> but doc, Dr. Freeman take, takes him there, hooks him up. Uh, and it's clear David's brain has more information than David has, that David's mm-hmm. gone to another planet, uh, that that's why he's been gone for eight years. And uh, that's that's information. And then the scientist says, 48 hours isn't going to be enough. We're going to keep him for longer. And we but, all knew that. We all, I mean, I mean, you know, anyway, anyway. so, so David makes friends with, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh, I don't remember her name. Carolyn? Carolyn. Carolyn. Carolyn McAdams. Yep. And Carolyn has like a robot. Uh, Carolyn is sort of like the intern at NASA who, who gets to meet like the top secret people that are being hidden from the world. I don't, I NASA has some security issues. <laughs> yeah, clearly, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I could spend a whole, I could spend a whole hour talking about the ways in which NASA's security issues in this movie put us, put us
0: at risk. Definitely compromised, right?
1: Um, Carolyn lets slip to David that David is not going home. David mm-hmm. says, "Help me escape," and Carolyn does and should be charged with treason. Uh, she's right, <laughs> she's right, but this is treason. Once you start smuggling people out of government facilities, you are a traitor. <laughs> and she, in that, in that future, will be going to jail for a long time. Right. Um, David escapes to the ship, the ship opens up and lets David in. Which is uh, the midpoint of the movie. Which is the midpoint of the movie. And and you could argue this is the inciting incident. I don't think it is. No. But it's where we get to the fun part of the movie, which is David on the ship. mm mm-hmm. uh, David meets Max, which is the autopilot. Uh and Max is like, hey, what do you want to do? I want Max wants to get back to his home planet, but David's got the star charts in his brain. David just wants to go home to his family. Uh, sh- there's also a bunch of weirdo aliens. Uh, the-, the Island of Misfit Muppets uh, <laughs> are on this sh- ship. But ult- ultimately, we have a kind of weird sequence in which it's just the journey home. There's some comics. Now now the movie gets a little lighter in tone. It gets a little fun. There aren't really complications. The scientists want to get David and Max back, and David just wants to go home. And now we're getting towards the end of the movie, and I... What what is the climax of this movie, Andy? What would you what would you point out as the climax?
0: Well, I think when Max accepts the risk of being vaporized, right? And our our David, sorry, David accepts the risk of being vaporized and he asks Max to return him to 1978, but he he finally says, "Yeah, I'm willing. I'm willing to do that." So. I
1: I think it's actually sooner than that. Oh, okay. So I think the climax is David and Max are trying to get to David's home, but he can't he, he got all the way to the city, but like he's from above, how does he find the house and his younger brother uh. has to has to come like the scientists are there and they have to like not let the scientists know that they're bringing the ship in and his brother has the fireworks and he right, sets off right, the right. fireworks from the roof. That is the climax. David comes down, realizes that the second he gets off this ship, they're just going to bring him back to na- like it was right, really right. naive to think he could get back to mom and dad and mom and dad would be able to protect him from the government. It's a fool's it, errand, right? It wasn't going to solve anything. And I think I think that's the climactic moment. Um and and ultimately, like that that extended bit is the climax leading to the decision that David makes which is I just have to go back in time, even though I might die. And you just got to drop me off then. We, there's no going back to a normal life from here on in. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an interesting climax, because I don't think the movie has been leading us to that decision, necessarily. I, I, don't, I don't think the movie has been asking the question, will David make the decision to travel back in time? David asked Max, can you do it? And Max says, no, if you do it, you'll probably die. Some aliens can do it. Uh, I I took a look at you, thought you would die. It's not an option. So it's not the dramatic question of the movie, whether he's going to make this choice or not. Mm -hmm. And yet he makes it.
0: And and we Yeah, the dramatic question of the movie, I mean, it's kind of another, we get another false, uh, another fake out, right? The dramatic question of the movie is, can he get back to his family? and at least in that third act and then he does but then it doesn't work right so we expect that to be the, i i kind of expected that to be the end of the movie right yes agreed um and so
1: then david does travel back in time uh he wakes up in in the chasm that he had been previously in he goes home and and uh it's still that previous evening uh, the the family has not missed him. They go out to do fireworks. I think we're supposed to wonder was it all a dream this whole movie but it wasn't a dream the the cute little pink alien that David became good friends with on the ship it's, is in, in his backpack, backpack right um, and in invariably infects humanity with some unknown <laughs> form of disease causing a, a, a plague
0: of zombies No, that doesn't happen in this movie. Not in this movie. But um, uh, no, there is an emotional climax of seeing his family again also there. Um, But everything's back to normal, or is it, right?
1: Well, and David says to his younger brother that, you know, his younger brother apologizes for scaring him in the woods. And David says to him, it's okay, I love you, which feels Mm -hmm. like a big deal. Because mom and dad look at at him and go like, wow, our our boys are expressing love for one another, which... (laughs) Isn't <laughs> isn't the major question of this movie, but is uh-uh. a question in this movie.
0: Well, it's evidence that it, it's evidence that something has shifted, something has changed. He's
1: learned to appreciate his his,
0: his family. family
1: more mm-hmm. because he didn't. Although I don't know that he didn't know what he had. It's not like it's not like at the beginning of this movie he made a wish. He's like my terrible family. I wish I was. I wish I could run away from them. He doesn't want that. Um, yeah, I, but we can, I think we can get into that maybe a little bit later. That well, is a, the plot.
0: There's a line at the beginning where he says, I don't know what I want out of life anymore. He's talking to his dog. Right. And yes. I think, I think the answer is I have, I already have what I need. Right. I I, I guess, but he,
1: I, I mean, he's 12. Yeah. At twelve, you're not supposed to. You, it's not a problem that you don't know what you want out of life. That is the experience of being twelve. <laughs> if there is a twelve-year-old who knows exactly what they want out of life, that's usually the flaw in the movie. They right, made right, that right. decision too early, and they need to realize there's more options for them.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: Um, I, it's it's weird uh, thematically. I still enjoy this movie, mm-hmm. but but it's it's a weird question to ask of of a kid. Uh yeah. and I feel like we're transitioning into to David right now. We, we are. Just-
0: so let's yeah, let's talk about let's talk about David Freeman who um played by Joey Kramer. I think he's a really strong actor. He's great. I I really believe him when he's scared, worried, conflicted, wistful. I'm all in. When he cries, I cry. Mhm. Every time when he
1: gets frustrated, it's real.
0: It feels very real. So character-wise, though things tend to just happen to him until he boards the ship and that's when max starts requiring him to make decisions as the navigator right and that's when i think the story gets a lot better
1: I, it's it's definitely what we signed up to watch you know mm-hmm. this is a disney movie generally speaking disney movies don't don't lead you into the the aftermath of psychological trauma I uh, tend to focus on the fun part. You're a kid and you're flying a spaceship, right? Uh, I I would agree with you on that. That's when the movie starts to become
0: fun. I mean, it is a psycho. I mean, it's a family friendly psychological thriller on the front half for yes. sure.
1: Yeah, it it definitely is. For me though, the question for David really is not about his personality, but it's this: a traumatic event has happened to David. That he does not know how to process, mm-hmm. um, and and how do you move forward when you don't understand? Like you've got this gap in your memory, you don't understand. Everyone else has moved forward, but you're still the same. Right. This movie is not actually. This movie pretends to be interested in exploring that. Uh-huh. But it isn't it just wants it's all of this is to just get us to a place where a kid is flying a spaceship. It isn't actually about that and And if I was going to really critique this movie, I would say I would say stay in the psychological parts of it the fun The fun is that we need to get to the fun faster. Right. that is for sure. But like once he gets on the spaceship, all the questions we've been asking about David have been dropped. Now it's just, can he get home to his parents?
0: Right. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's can he escape? Can he get home to his parents? Those are the. Yeah. And I think, can he get back in time, too? I mean, there's a, there is this kind of feeling that he doesn't fit in the 80s. And we get that, he doesn't know the toys, he doesn't know the songs, he doesn't know the, uh, but, the words but, people are using. So. And this is where thematically
1: the movie lets me down. Because the way to deal with trauma is to go forward. There mm-hmm. is no going back to pre-trauma. You can't undo it. You just have to find a way to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so when, when Max rules out time travel and says, no, you'll die... Uh, you'll be vaporized, probably. Um, that for me <laughs> answers the question. We can't go back in time. Uh, and truthfully, I don't even understand how you could go back in time. It's well, a I mean, spaceship. It, I understand why it's only been a few days for him. There's a whole thing with light years and traveling at the speed of light. Mm-hmm. But there, this movie postulates that the Superman like spiral around the sun of the Earth a few times. You can go back in time. Is is just standard space travel? That space and time travel like if you can if you can solve one, you can solve the other.
0: Mm-hmm. It's backwards, right? Yeah. Yeah let's talk about Max a little bit. Paul Rubens, Uh, we it's interesting how he goes from sort of ominous to this crazy fun after he downloads a uh, David's brain.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, And I'm not sure. So I don't know. I assume that Max is a robot. Do you agree with me that he's an AI? I think he's AI.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so.
1: Cause it's possible he's like an organic sort of spaceship. I just don't think he is. Um, like or an organic component that's been in some ways Oh, interesting. Uh, attached to the spaceship. But the idea here is that there, there's actually two different Max characters. There's mm-hmm. Max before the mind meld, and then mm-hmm. there's Max after. And the one beforehand is is maybe not as self aware
0: as the one after it's 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 I don't I don't know how to treat he's not as loving. Yeah. He's, and he doesn't and he doesn't seem to care about he cares about David more. Instead, the, of, just the, him, yeah, yeah, instead of just treating him Yeah, yeah, instead of treating him like a vessel. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. But I don't understand what Max's journey actually is. So you could you could do with Max, he's like, Listen, I've been corrupted by your brainwaves. Now I need to purge what what I've absorbed from you and go back to my state. And that would, sort of, that would sort of mirror what's going on with David. David's been, in, Max put stuff into David, and now, oh, how the tables have turned. Mm-hmm. Um, David has put stuff into Max, and how yeah. do you like it? How do you like it when someone experiments on you, Max? And maybe Max could have an arc that, like, hey, maybe it's not okay, the thing that I've been doing with, with these aliens.
0: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that that's something that's missing from this piece. I mean, on the but it is that interesting. Like, I'm downloading, you know, things into you, and now you're downloading things into me, right? Yeah, Max. And also, have we have different arc. we have different language now. I think, um, and different ideas about AI now than we probably did in 1986.
1: I it, it basically comes down to this max builds a relationship with david they mm-hmm. become friends yeah i don't actually get that max has an arc i don't get that max's journey has been changed by his interactions
0: with david i i don't i don't know he's th- not gonna stop with the alien stuff he's gonna just yeah yeah there, there
1: yeah. needs to be there needs to be some line some something that indicates that max is forever changed by his interactions with david
0: and this movie, just... well, you don't get that from "See You Later, Navigator."
1: I, I his language, he's, he's more affectionate, but what is he going to do with his, his existence? No, no. But that's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he's right, going right, to keep up. Right, he's going right.
1: right. to ab, keep abducting uh, people from other planets. That's his prime directive. Mm. Um, and and that can't be right. That can't. Oh, that's a
0: good, like, good point. You good have point. to
1: change your behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, Han Solo is forever changed by meeting Luke Skywalker. Right. You know, he tries to go back to being his old self and he can't. He cares now. Max needs. And because we're going to stay on David, maybe, maybe there is a change to Max. I just don't know what it is.
0: I just don't know what it is. Yeah. We don't get to stay with Max long enough yeah. for that, I don't think. Okay. So Dr. Lewis Faraday, Howard Heselman, Um. I, I, Thought he was
1: great in this.
0: Oh, I think he's the typical government bureaucrat. He's, <laughs> I mean, at least that trope, right? He's he's irritating. He's condescending. I think there's perfect casting here. I do wonder a little bit about the plot holes with NASA, as we've mentioned. Like, but but then I wonder, like, would they really just treat this alien spaceship in this way? <laughs> right? We like chain it to you know concrete blocks or whatever.
1: <laughs> I, but, I'm
0: with you, but believability uh, aside, like his performance completely sells it.
1: I, I, he is the antagonist of this movie. Oh, 100. Yeah, but I don't consider him to be a malevolent antagonist. He's he's he doesn't have David's best interests at heart.
0: No, he wants to know what he wants to know, and and you know, David's sort of. He's going to treat him well-ish, right? But he's not going to care about his emotional needs. I think to myself,
1: if I was the president of the United States, Mm -hmm. and uh, we've discovered an alien spaceship and a kid who was abducted, do I, do like like, I'm a good person, Andy. Mm -hmm. I don't think, though, that I let that kid go back to school as if nothing happened and keep my hands off. Um, you, do you know what I mean? And I right, don't, I don't right. think if he escapes that I go like, eh, what are you going to do? Everything right. that that Dr. Dr. Faraday does is the right is the thing his job requires him to do. Right. And frankly, if he doesn't do these things, he should be fired. Right. This is what you do if a kid's been abducted by aliens. Uh, the, the thing that. You know, he does that, that's wrong is he should give the parents a choice. He says, listen, we're going to we're going to take your kid away. Mm-hmm. You can come with or you can stay out of it. Right choice. And, but I mean, he could do that. But but that's not that's not. Well, this and movie. that would be a
0: more interesting movie, wouldn't it? If if the parents go with him and then he decides to leave them because everything's so creepy and then he tries to get back to them. Right. Because he realizes he misses them and needs them. And then realizes that it's never going to be the same. I mean, that could be interesting. A really sinister
1: villain would capture mm-hmm. his parents and his ki- and his brother, and say, "Look, David, you got yeah. back. we got your family.
0: What are you going to do? Yeah, it'd be more E.T. kind of yeah.
1: But that's not this character. I don't, and I'm not saying mm-hmm. I want to see that. Although that would give us a climax that was a little more action-adventury. Mm-hmm. If that mm-hmm. that's not this movie, but it no. would. Um, I I thought he was playing a real adult person in an extraordinary circumstance, and while I didn't necessarily agree with his decisions, I probably would have made
0: the same ones. So, so what yeah. are you going to do? I mean, it's, it's, the, a- it's the adult. What the adult would do, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you. Watch I mean, movie who knows? that You uh, hate it. Yeah, him. there's a spaceship. I mean, could be the whole planet could be at risk. Right. The stakes are just too high to right.
1: be super nice. Right. I appreciate it. It's a complicated, it's a complicated portrayal on a movie that does not rest on this character, right? But it's nuanced, and the performance is nuanced. Yeah. He does. He actually likes David, and he tries to relate to him,
0: right? Uh, Jeff Freeman, uh, I think, David's little brother, played by Matt Adler. There's this really sweet moment between 16-year-old Jeff and 12-year-old David. Where Jeff confesses how bad he felt and how he blamed himself for losing him. Yeah, they've
1: all been through a trauma. And yeah. Jeff, most of all, because Jeff, I mean, Jeff doesn't go this far, but Jeff must have spent the rest of his life wondering if when he scared his brother, did he do something that set off the chain reaction right. that, his, that, that caused his brother to disappear? Right.
0: I mean, at the heart of this movie, their relationship and I I struggle to call it a B story because it doesn't feel like it's that. Defined, but at the heart of the movie, their relationship really does get repaired, even though it's sort of one sided. We do get to see Jeff talking about how he feels.
1: I wonder if this movie would be a better movie if it was about, if it shifted to a Jeff and David buddy movie in the middle part, that Jeff and David are both on this spaceship now. Mm. If there, or if there was a sequence where teenage Jeff does go on on the spaceship with his brother, and they're facing the climax together as brothers. Interesting. They, they've been separated for so long in this movie... Uh, I, I just wonder. I wonder if what we actually want here is two brothers in an extraordinary circumstance, having ha, trying to redefine the roles in their relationship. Now that one is is technically older than the other. Now that the younger brother is technically older than than the older
0: brother. Yeah, uh, I think I, thema- I think thematically that's a different movie. But yeah, I I I think we want I want more out of that relationship, and and maybe it's because the ending is somewhat unsatisfying. Yes. Agreed.
1: And the movie ends on the idea of the the relationship being repaired, which Mm -hmm. is an idea in this movie, but not the main idea of this movie.
0: Right. So Bill and Helen Freeman, um, they start out as sort of typical WASPY parents, right? Um, And and they really get to shine when their son is found. Um, I think in the middle of the movie, um, I guess it's probably somewhere in the front half, um, I think that's when the writing is at its best for them. Yeah, I think it's when they have more to work with.
1: Yeah, I, because because the miracle has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me would want to see uh, if if we were if we were inclined to do it, if we were inclined to spend more time with mom and dad. That eleven years, that eight years in the future, mom and dad have gotten a divorce. And the reason that they've gotten a divorce is the trauma of losing a child made oh, wow. it impossible for them to stay together. Yeah, and that when David comes back, they're also back in each other's lives again. And like, like we, we, I, I wonder if like that would be, again, if we were in a movie that was going to spend more time with them, like that reunion. What do you mean, mom and dad aren't married anymore? Well, when I we, when I last saw them, they were they were kissing and getting ready to go out on the boat. Right. Um, what do you mean it's all my fault that mom and dad aren't together anymore? Like, like it's another way of exploring yeah, the, it's, the I Yeah, mean,
0: it's, it's another way to raise the stakes, right? Yeah, can, can this family be healed? Right. Um,
1: yeah, uh, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity. It's just, there's so much you could do with this story that the movie can't contain it. It can't yeah. contain it and also get to the fun place that it wants to be.
0: Right. Because ultimately it wants to be with David flying that ship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Carolyn McAdams, Sarah Jessica Parker. We get to see her here. Um one of her first earliest her earliest performances. Um, she's the hero of this movie. So well, without her You don't well, think so. You think I she's mean, a traitor. I well, think she's I a mean hero. she
1: <laughs> does a twelve year old boy who has been abducted by aliens and is being kept by NASA in a secret place do you at age 20 think that boy has the right to make his own decisions about where he is i'm going to sneak him out of a military base just on his own uh like that's that's really that's really not great
0: <laughs> she's no right. i mean yeah, she's maybe.
1: right her instincts are right Right. Because he should not be there. Um, but 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 I just want to say well, any 20 year old interns working for NASA <laughs> in their top security division, follow protocol.
0: <laughs> but she's the only government employee really with a heart. And again, I don't think anybody sees this as, you know, a manual for how to work at NASA. <laughs> do, do you want to know
1: do you want to know the secret about Carolyn. Sure. This is this is this is. I don't know that this is canon, but I think it is. Carolyn is going to be David's true love. When if David had stayed in the timeline, they would both be twenty in the nineteen eighties. She has that line to with him at the end when she's about to go. He, she goes like, "You'd be really cute if you were older." And I think mm. the movie is setting up that had David stayed in the timeline and aged the two of them would now be together
0: so why isn't she jennifer bradley well cuz the person you have a crush on at 12
1: is not necessarily the person that you're supposed to. you're you're allowed to have some crushes along the way I, oh, okay all right but <laughs> i i i think the idea is that like in, in if we were to continue in the mainstream timeline that w- mm-hmm. that the, david has been replaced he's going to see her again they're yeah, going to be the same be age And they're going to end up together. Ah, that's that would, that's good. You can tell me I'm wrong because no, I I I don't know.
0: I think it's an interesting look at it. It's not something I considered while I was watching it.
1: It's the one line she says about how cute he would be. she senses that like like he could be. That kind of gave me a little bit of a creep vibe. Actually. Well, because it's not appropriate at a, this age.
0: Right, but, right. But when
1: she's saying it, she's not like trying to seduce him. It's just a shame. It's just, what she's saying is, it's a shame you're not my age. That's what she's saying. Yeah, which is kind of creepy to it me. Is, okay. It is. <laughs> it is. I hear you. That's but, the 80s, you But know. I'm a romantic who believes in soulmates. And uh. I think, I don't think it's a physical thing. I think she's just sensing that she's got a deep connection with him. Got it. Um, and now we'll get to see that realized now that we've restored the timeline.
0: Awesome. Well, we wanted to have a bit of a discussion today about tone of a movie and setting expectations in your movie. So, do you want yeah. to start?
1: So, all right. So, listeners, I've said this. I've said this to Andy in pre-production. the The puzzle of this movie for me in the unraveling it is that there are two separate movies fighting each other to be the one movie. There's sort of like a Highlander thing going on here. There can only be one movie. Is this movie a sci-fi psychological thriller? Or is this movie a kid-friendly adventure? And the movie would tell you, I'm both these things. Mm -hmm. But when, when a movie is supposed to be both those things, what what it what it's supposed to be is simultaneously both those things that that like we're we're juxtaposing side by side. We'll have a scene where a kid is like flying the plane, and then we'll have a serious scene, and then we'll get back to him flying the spaceship, and and back and forth, and we're doing both things at the same time. The first forty minutes of this movie is all psychological thriller. There mm-hmm. is nothing kid friendly or fun about it it's a kid what? crying it's not for what 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 wish fulfillment what fantasy are you selling the children in the
0: audience for the first 40 minutes well okay i think this is a tween movie but i i wouldn't say it's for very small children but I, it's definitely a tween movie but it's not fun it's it's good
1: but it's not a fun movie you don't make a kid sit through Forty minutes of crying and tearful reunions and kidnappings and all of that stuff, and be like, "Don't worry, the fun stuff is around the corner." And then he gets on the spaceship; it's still tense, and and then eventually, like you know, they're listen they're listening to the Beach Boys, but but there's a like that first forty minutes is all psychological drama,
0: right? I mean, I but i think it's tempered psychological drama i mean I, I i don't think it's like his life isn't in danger i mean he's
1: not his emotional well-being is in danger he's scared right but the first 40 but- minutes he gets separated from his parents not once but twice he just wants to go home it's the what's the fun part is the like wh- if you're a kid like so so i will tell you Going back, have I ever referenced Wizard of Oz in this movie? Oh, uh,
0: once or twice, yeah.
1: The sure. Podcast, sure. <laughs> I want you to imagine a Wizard of Oz in which Dorothy spends the first 40 minutes of Oz... Crying that she wants to go home and doesn't go on the journey and meets the Scarecrow. That she has deep counseling sessions with the Munchkins. That like Glinda tells her, you know, we need to open up your brain and figure out how you killed the Wicked Witch of the East because there are more witches we're throwing your way, Dorothy. Like, and we never get her to the Scarecrow until like an hour into the movie, and then then we get our first song. We're off to see the Wizard. It's just so long in this sad place.
0: Well, so my question to you is, is it an, is it because of. Is it because of the speed of this film? I mean, do we need to get all of that? Because I think we need to get him on the ship we ab- before the midpoint. We I think we agreement. should get it. If we got him on the ship at the midpoint, like, or, or at the, at the end of act one, I think we'd be in better shape. Like, I, I don't think that. Being scared or traumatized is necessarily a bad thing for the movie, and I think it's tween, I think tweens actually movie. need this kind of these kinds of stories. But I think I think you're right in that, and I don't know if it's just a film that hasn't aged well because of story. T- I'm not really sure. We would definitely not make the movie like this now. We'd get them there by the end of Act One. If you
1: take a look at the trailer for this movie, mm-hmm. you will see that when they advertise this movie. Like at the first, they're doing like a little bit of Close Encounters, but by the second half of the trailer, they're showing uh-huh. us all the fun stuff. They're showing uh, flying the ship. They're showing the cool little weird puppets, aliens in the ship. That's the fantasy part. That's the part that's for kids. I'm empowered and I'm having an adventure. Right. He doesn't have... I guess this is what I'm saying. The first 45 minutes of this movie, he is having a series of traumatic events And doesn't start the adventure until about an hour into the movie, and that's when the
0: movie becomes fun and for kids. So they've set the expectation that this is a fun movie. even through the trailer, right? It's a Disney movie.
1: It's not Mm -hmm. Touchstone, right? Mm -hmm. This is a Disney. It's it's been released as a Disney movie, and it's a and. If you if you're gonna go with the blurb about this, like the the, right. the log line is a kid is the navigator of an alien. It's called Flight of the Navigator. Right. It's right, not right. called Isolation of the Abductee. Which, right. Which is what the movie. When
0: is he going to become the navigator? Right. So it's just interesting to me. So because, here's a th- here's a thought of a fix. Um, so again you've got all this time that they've spent with dogs catching Frisbees, right? And I know we beat that to death at the beginning, but I think if you're going to make that choice and why not set up a story, almost like a small story in the Manish and the exposition that tells us of something where something is captive and held captive. And then, you know, is really something else and then give David a real win. So that when this, thing does happen and he gets hit within in the ravine right um and his head gets hit then we know that david's going to have a win here almost a just a precursor to the rest of the film
1: and and my fix would be this should be two separate movies two separate successful movies you could just do a movie that's about a kid who was abducted and returned And that's all the. there's so much rich drama to be mined from that Mm -hmm. in, in him establishing new relationships with his family, in adjusting to the new time period, that you never need to get him aboard that spaceship again until maybe the very end of the movie if you decide to go that way. And you could make a second movie, which is about what if a kid gets abducted by a spaceship and immediately becomes the navigator of that spaceship. And that would be a fun, you don't have to put every idea Mm -hmm. in your movie. This could be two separate movies, one movie for kids, one movie for older kids and families. Right. I I think I would prefer to see that. I actually like the psychological thriller movie Mm -hmm. here more than I like the action adventure part where they're on the spaceship. It just feels so real to me. I, I didn't want to stop spending time in that space. I found it fascinating.
0: Well, he wants that. I, I think both. I think he, again, it feels like things are happening to David and to, to me until he goes on that spaceship. And then he learns some things from Max. Um, And he learns that he's, he's in charge, that he has agency. Max recognizes he has agency before anyone else in his life does. So I think that's the, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying, though. I hear what you're saying. It's it's just it's 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 just weird to me. I
1: I also need to talk about uh, I, I, if you'll indulge me. Sure. This ending is a cop out. Um. They set up a problem, and the solution. So in a time travel movie, the idea that the solution is that you just go back in time and nothing ever happened is just a cheat it's it's just you can't go backwards you have you things have to be changed uh and and i don't i don't know what there's no reason like there's no reason for david to think that his only options are go back in time or or he could have decided take me to your home planet. He could have decided let's abduct my parents and we'll all go flying to another planet. There are a lot of choices here. Uh, we get to a place where a twelve-year-old in a movie says, "I would rather risk death than confront my problems in the here and now." Uh, and for me, that is not a that's that's the worst possible response to a trauma. And the movie plays it off. As if it's the right response.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot. That's not going to happen. It's hard because I really do like this movie and I like the way it ends up. I do too. I I just, I think, I think what we're saying though is we would, at least what I'm saying is that I would do it differently now. I think there's too many, too many things happening. Yes. Too many possibilities.
1: Yeah, it's it's just this is not this is just not the ending that yeah. the movie has been positing.
0: uh, And and it's because, a, it's because a, the family you're right, because if the family was completely needed repaired and this was the only way to repair it, that's one thing. Right. If Max knew that his family needed to be repaired. Right. I, I mean, the worst
1: part of this for me is Max doesn't realize – no, sorry, Max. David doesn't realize what it will do to his family if he gets vaporized and disappears again. Do you do, do know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. That, that they've, they've lived these eight years thinking he was dead, and he's come back, and they're so happy that he's back, he's just going to go again? He's he's like trying to make it so that they've never experienced right. the trauma, but there's every, there's every likelihood – that he's going to die and they'll just never see him again. And he's traumatizing
0: them all over again. Yuck. Yeah. Yuck, I yuck, mean, there's, yuck. there's this part where like, we're not leaving you. So one of us will be here with you day and night in the hospital, but then when the government wants to take you. Okay. okay
1: so I may have come up with a solution just now. Sure. The information inside David's brain has to be damaging him. So, that staying in the present, mm-hmm. staying in the present isn't really an option. If, if, if like he comes back to them, but he's having some sort of brain issue that is harming him because mm-hmm. that data is all in his head and it has to get out. Right. It gives him and Max an objective beyond getting him back to his family. The objective is how do we get that information? out of your brain and back into the computer right and mm-hmm. it and it it's 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 better in that sense because then it's a metaphor for we need to heal the trauma that's happened yeah, to you yeah that makes
0: sense that makes sense
1: and and whatever that means when he, i uh, once he doesn't have that data in his brain anymore nasa doesn't need him That's what they want him for. So removing, (laughs) they might watch him for a couple of weeks, but when the computers stop getting all this cool information from his brain, they'll just let him go back to his family. And is it weird that his younger brother is now his older brother? It's weird. But they can rebuild their family together. It's just going to be new relationships. But I I think healing is something that happens going forward. Healing never Mm. comes back by trying to undo and getting back to where you were. And I feel like that solves this movie.
0: Okay. (laughs) I think, yeah, okay. Pitch time.
1: (laughs) Pitch time.
0: So in May of 2009, um, there was an article in The Hollywood Reporter that indicated Disney had a remake of this movie in the works, but that never materialized. And then again, in May of 2017, eight years later, uh, ironically, eight years, uh, Disney announced that they would try the remake again. And that effort seemed to flounder a little bit until September of 2021, when it was announced that Bryce Dallas Howard was attached to direct the remake with a female protagonist. So... We may or may not get one, but uh, given all this, what would we do? And of course we've mentioned Sora and we mentioned other things too. What would we do with this material? Oh, there's so many good options here. So I have one idea and that is that I love the idea of Max. I think Max deserves further exploration because I think he's the most fun and a character. And I think Max should be in a situation where he tries another abduction and maybe it just doesn't go so well for him this time. Well, this time it didn't go well either. Well, I mean, it, but like maybe it's not somebody who, maybe it's somebody who, like, oh, he get, like, he, he he brings trouble onto. Him. Yeah. So instead of uh, befriending his, you know, abductee, right, in this kind of Stockholm syndrome kind of way, maybe it really goes bad, and the kids that he tries to abduct, abduct plot against him, and he realizes that maybe abduction is not. The best policy for intergalactic um, relations. So I
1: have so many ways I could go with this. I'm going to limit myself to two. Okay. Uh, And one answer, if I was going to do a sequel to this movie, I would would take a bug from the first movie and turn it into a feature. Hmm. David has grown up and he's had kids with Carolyn. uh, And the kids are like, Super geniuses, in a mm. weird way, and what David realizes is the stuff that was like the danger of him going back in time, uh, and being brought back to his parents didn't manifest in him. It manifests in his children. That mm. they are picking up signals That's from so Max and the other ship, uh, and 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 David's like, oh no am I going to lose my children? Are they going to be abducted? How like That would be the thread I would pick up on. And mm-hmm. in that way, it would redeem the decision to go back in time. He paid a price for it. He didn't notice it at the time, mm-hmm. but that price is going to be paid in his children. Wow. And he's got to save his kids. Love it. That's if it's a sequel. But that's not what I actually want. What I actually want is this shouldn't be a movie. This should be a TV series. It should be an hour-long drama, uh huh. Uh, and I I want the psychological version of this. There can still be fun stuff happening, but I I feel like I want a full season of like I'm the kid, I was the older brother, now I'm the younger brother. I'm from the '70s. I'm living in the '80s now. And I'm trying to adjust to everything. At the same time, there is a meta plot. Scientists are trying to figure out what's going on with me. And it might be connected to this spaceship. And maybe at mid-season is we end on our like mid-season break of David approaches the ship. Mmm. Right, But we get a lot of time to build up David's relationships with his parents his new relationship with his brother. Uh-huh. Uh, the girl he liked is now much older than him. We could play something we can play something with that. We get him to the point where he's just ready to like you know what I think I'm making the adjustment and then the spaceship comes back into
0: his life. That sounds really good I like
1: and I that. think we could get seasons
0: out of this story. It's a really uh, good movie. I mean, I know we've picked it apart, but it really is. I enjoy it too. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I've watched it I've watched it twice for this for this podcast and like I'd sit down and watch it again. It's it's so good. But
1: for for me, I think it's got untapped potential. Mm. I think there's the possibility for it to be so much more than it is. Ah. Good deal. Well, what yes. movie are we tackling next week? Next week. We are tackling at the request of a particular of a particular listener. We are tackling
0: Pollyanna. Yay! Another Haley Mills movie. <laughs> oh,
1: I'm very excited, but only Haley Mills. Haley Mills is not in this. Just Haley Mills.
0: Oh, hey! Did you know that uh, Pollyanna is Paul Rubin's favorite movie? I did not know that. I did learned you? that today.
1: <laughs> uh, so I found out. You know, I've always described myself to people as I'm a Pollyanna. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm always a look up You might not know this from this podcast. I'm very different <laughs> in real life. Uh, my grandmother, my grandmother who, um, who passed... Uh, today was actually her birthday um, as we're recording this. Uh, She always described herself as a Pollyanna too. And I never never knew that that was something we both used to describe ourselves. So I'm excited to tackle this next week.
0: Very, very cool. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? You can also check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page, which is probably the best way to find us. Best way. You can tweet us at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6, or you can drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. Compliance.